1: Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us.
0: What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hi,
1: everyone, and thank you for tuning in to episode 126 of Awards Chatter, the Hollywood Reporters Awards podcast. I'm the host, Scott Feinberg, and my guest today is a talented, and trailblazing young actor who has starred in a film that won the Best Picture Oscar, just starred in another film that's been nominated for the Best Picture Oscar, and also just received his first individual Oscar nomination, Dev Patel. The 26-year-old Brit of Indian descent got his start as a supporting actor on the British TV series Skins, on which he appeared between 2007 and 2008. Then, unexpectedly, he was thrust into the spotlight by Danny Boyle, who cast him as the main character in what would prove to be a massively acclaimed drama called Slumdog Millionaire, for which Patel ultimately received SAG and BAFTA nominations, and which itself received ten Oscar nominations, winning eight, including Best Picture. Patel since has starred in the pan-2010 action film The Last Airbender, the hit 2011 comedy The Best Exotic Marigold Hotel, and its 2015 sequel, Aaron Sorkin's divisive TV drama series The Newsroom, which ran on HBO between 2012 and 2014, and the 2016 indie film The Man Who Knew Infinity. But he has received the best personal notices of his career for his work in another 2016 film, Garth Davis's Lion, in which he plays Saroo Brierly, a real person who, as a child, fell asleep on a train and was separated by thousands of miles from his beloved mother and brother in India and subsequently was unable to explain where he came from and ultimately wound up adopted by a couple in Australia who raised him and who he came to love while also tirelessly trying to figure out the location of his original home. It's a subtle, nuanced, powerful turn by someone who many doubted had such a performance in him, and it has been recognized with Best Supporting Actor, Golden Globe, SAG, BAFTA, and Critics' Choice nominations, and now with an Academy Award nomination as well. Over the course of our conversation at the offices of The Hollywood Reporter, Patel and I discussed a wide range of topics, among them the way he more or less fell into acting, the life-changing experience he had making Slumdog in India, his post-Slumdog struggles to find meaningful work, and why he wasn't even allowed to audition for Life of Pi, why he almost passed on doing The Newsroom, how he transformed himself physically and spiritually in order to make the most of what he regards as the role of a lifetime in Lion, and what it means to him at this time in the history of the Academy and of America to become only the third person of Indian descent ever to receive an Oscar nomination for acting. So, without further ado, let's go to that conversation. Judy was boring. Hello.
0: Then, Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com.
1: It's my little escape.
0: Now, Judy's
1: the life of the party. Oh, baby, Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. Judy. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Dev, thank you so much for doing this. Really appreciate it. To begin with, we always ask, where were you born and raised, and what did or do your folks do for a living? So I was born and raised in
0: northwest London, Harrow, specifically on the 23rd of April, 1990. <laughs> My mother works as a carer for the elderly. She's worked there all her life and now she manages the same place where she used to intern when she was in school. My dad
1: is an accountant for an IT firm. <laughs> so just to reiterate, because I, I, from reading other interviews of yours, I know you have mentioned how often people are taken aback by this. You are of Indian descent However, you are very British, right? I mean, this is the Ag where... (laughs)
0: Well, actually, my parents are born in Nairobi. Nairobi. But yeah, our heritage goes back to India. Yes. And yeah, me and my older sister were born in the UK.
1: And your parents' story is not to go down your whole family tree, (laughs) but it's kind of amazing too. They're just the way... Way they met, from what I read, right? The way they met, yeah, and ended up together, and in the UK, and all of that. I think it was an
0: arranged marriage, actually. So it was. uh, I mean, they did get to, you know, decide on if they loved each other or something. But uh, I remember they. My dad took my mum to McDonald's as far as mum, and they shared a happy meal, which is a big deal back in back in those days. He's an accountant; you can't blame him.
1: (laughs) And so, when you came along, what what were your interest as a kid and and how did acting first enter the picture
0: to be quite honest I was just super hyperactive in school and I had so much energy I was getting in trouble a lot I was always the class clown so my mum was putting me into you know all sorts of musical instruments and I did martial arts and one of my school teachers was like you've got to put him in the school play at the end of the year so I auditioned for that and I got this role and it went down really well and I won all these awards It was in this Twelfth Night? Yeah, it was Twelfth Night. You know, we were wearing football socks and like, <laughs> you know, you know, funny makeup and it was right. just pantomime really. Right. But it was the first time I really interacted with an audience and been on a stage
1: and it was you know, electrifying really. And this would have been like the equivalent of junior high school in America? Yeah. yeah. So then you go on to high school where I I was reading about a competition of some sort where a visiting examiner a visiting person who comes in and evaluates performances oh was man so impressed by you that she was crying yeah those are my
0: GCSEs that's just like the end of year exams you do like an SAT or something uh, or... I think so yeah, something yeah, like yeah, that yeah, yeah. and drama was one of the 12 subjects that I chose it was probably the only one that I had interest in to be honest <laughs> and uh, we had to do a performance piece and I did this piece, and the examiner started crying, which was a weird feeling when you're a child. Yeah, and, uh, but pretty good. Yeah, you feedback. see someone else react like that. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So while you were still in high school, I guess in the middle of of some exams or just about on the verge of some of of some additional exams, I read that you, who had never acted professionally before, wind up at an audition for Skins, this TV show that that was on in the UK. How did that come about? And and then how did it evolve to the point where you ended up booking it?
0: Well, it kind of, it just, you know, drama was fun in school, but I didn't really know how to capitalize on that and turn that into a career. So it was always just something I did to indulge myself. Uh, it felt like something a very extracurricular. We had to focus on something, you know, a substantial, real, plausible. And all of a sudden, one day, out of the blue, I'm getting ready for some exams, uh, my science exams and my mum brings home this newspaper article, this cutting. And she says I'm going to take you to this open casting tomorrow. And I was I think 16 at the time and I was you know really upset with her because she was, you know, <laughs> being put out of your comfort zone, being, right. you know, awkward and just uh, you know argumentative as you are as a teenager. And it was just this massive wide casting call and she we'd never really done anything like it before, so yeah. I thought she'd lost her mind. But she, you know, stuck to her guns and dragged me there in my school uniform. We took half the day off school and queued outside the National Youth Theatre. And I was very lucky I I got this role in this show called Skins.
1: And for people who who aren't familiar with it, you played Anwar, a Muslim teen who was obsessed with getting laid, sort of the (laughs) comic relief of the show. What did it teach you about acting that this was your first time doing it, I guess, in front of a camera, right?
0: You know, it was weird because I, I really didn't know much about the art form. So I remember watching myself back and feeling like I stuck out like a sore thumb because I was so over the top, like I would swing wildly. <laughs> and, it, you know, in every take, you'd have a, a melancholy of expressions from pure excitement, sadness, I could everything I could cram in. Right. And subtlety was definitely not part of that. So, you know, I was just really enjoying myself with all these peers and kind of amazed that I was on the set. And it was only when the first season came out and I watched myself back that I started to realize, wow, you know, there needs to be a bit more <laughs> attention paid to trying to get the craft right. And right. the second season, I started to find my feet a bit more. Right. And there's only after that, when I got a proper chance to audition for Danny Ball that I really was like, okay, come on, we got to do this, step this up into the next gear.
1: And just one or two more things before we get to to Slumdog Millionaire, which you referenced. But Skins was a pretty edgy and explicit yeah. show for somebody who's in their teens for anybody, but you know for the actors it must and, and you in particular. There's all kinds of sexual related stuff, nudity. Uh, was were you comfortable in that sort of a setting as a sixteen year old? Seventeen. No way. Old? I was a late bloomer. Yeah. <laughs> in every way, and it was
0: such a racy show. I remember the first um, ad campaign we did. They would booked out this massive mansion out in the countryside in England. And basically they're like, we're going to throw a party. We've invited a hundred (laughs) extras. And I remember looking around and some of these extras are definitely on some real drugs. (laughs) And uh, they just let the cameras roll. It was just this humongous party and it actually got banned this advert. But it was just absolute chaos. And it became a thing in the UK. So there was, you know, there was the emos, there was the punks, there was the hip hop crew, there was the skins crew. It was, it became a thing. And the second time we did that, the second season, I remember I was told by my director, you, this is a very weird thing, rip the lampshade off the wall and put it on your head and run, <laughs> run past camera. And when an adult's telling you that as a 16 year old, I'm like, wait, is this a joke? This or is, is like- telling me-? And he's like, no, I'm deadly, deadly serious. So I did that, ran across and the next season, all these n- new set of extras are coming to set for the next ad yeah. campaign with all these lampshades on their head <laughs> and
1: it was just madness. Now, the show itself caused you some headaches back at regular school, right? You would now go back, I guess, when you weren't in production. I don't know how much of the year that was. But- I was sort of living a double life. Yeah. Because, you know, I went to a normal, everyday, you know,
0: comprehensive school and in so Greater was the London. And so show
1: shot? It was in the summers or something? We would do,
0: I don't quite remember, but it, I would take almost half the year off school. Okay. But we would be traveling back and forward on the train to Bristol, right. which is where Skins were shot it was so hard to juggle both and my mind was never in school to begin with ever. (laughs) So I I would come back and it was talk of the school and all the kids around and the characters are really, you know, they're, they're out there, they're contentious in a big way. So I found it very hard to, to, you know, face that kind of criticism and, you know, all of a sudden you're walking to your locker in the corridor and you're hearing the chatter about, you know, you were naked, yes, last night on television, <laughs> running, run, running around on screen, and now you have to go to maths with everyone else. It's, it's and not
1: only that, though, right? Because I read there, you know, there was some backlash to the fact that you were playing a Muslim character mm. without being a Muslim person. Yeah, it was tricky
0: because I never really, I just was trying to be, you know, fulfill the lines that I was given and play the character to the best ability that I could. But you go to school and I guess it's just part of being young yeah. and, and, and naive. Uh, it's, I, I faced a lot. On the other hand, I was getting a lot of positive responses because yeah. there were so many uh, children that were like, you know, I'm just glad you're portraying a young Muslim guy that is having just as much fun right. as the other kids. Right. You know, he's drinking just as much as everyone else and he's normal. He's like everyone else. So that was, that was what was exciting yeah. to me is, you know, he wasn't going home and eating chapatis and curry (laughs) with his parents and then sitting down and doing his homework. He was just as frivolous and as fun-loving and eager about partying as all the other kids were. And this show was about that. It's centered around kids that want, as the creator said, it's about teenagers who grab life by the balls and give it a twirl. (laughs) (laughs) That was a
1: tagline. Now your your high school acting teachers must have been impressed, though, right?
0: Yeah, they kind of were. I mean, yeah, my it's actually my f- my middle school teachers yeah, that know. were the, the the most proud, you know, because they they got me in this tr- drama production. Then all of a sudden, it started Took snowballing yeah. into something bigger.
1: So after I guess the second season was was shot, one day I guess you're going about your business and you get a call from Gail Stevens, the casting director oh, yeah. for for Danny Boyle, this who himself is you know for anyone who doesn't know a great british director he'd done train spotting and millions and very varied great movies what as you understand it prompted that call and what did that call spark i
0: i just remember that actually i think Gail had called one of the creators of skins and they said we hear you've got this boy dev patel and, and danny balls interested in auditioning him for a role in the film Mm -hmm. and the Skins creators were very gracious in letting me go off and do that I was very new to it all and once I got the role I was told by Danny it was in fact his daughter that had seen me on the show she was a massive fan and he had already flown out to India and done a nationwide casting call there he'd done one in New York and Los Angeles and London and he came home one night about to basically pack it all in and his daughter was like why don't you try this kid i love this show and she pointed towards the television and i was on there
1: and part of the issue for danny was that the actors he was encountering yeah. in india were not in the
0: indian film industry there mm-hmm. there's a the kind of mold that you kind of have to fill is a very buff handsome it's it's a really heightened escapist cinema so you're basically playing a knight in shining armor that's changing but back then I think a lot of the guys, you know, this is about
1: an underdog. So if you're coming in with eight packs. (laughs) It's not going to work. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So eventually, I guess you initially audition. You have several rounds of auditions Mm. before you get to Danny. And then you get this part. And we should just note, you didn't even have an agent at the time?
0: Yeah, I don't think I did. Or it was kind of just starting to come together that I was getting an agent. It was all happening very quickly together.
1: I was going to say, could you believe this was actually happening?
0: I I couldn't I couldn't I remember it was just strange and you know going back to that first point I would go to the auditions with my mum yeah. and I would sit there and we're waiting in the queue to go in and read with Danny and I'd look down the line and there's all these really handsome you know you know Indian men with designer you know face stubble <laughs> and I was like there's no way in hell this guy's gonna pick me I'm sitting there with my mum and right. she's kind of you know licking her lips and combing my hair and. <laughs> You know, d- d- you know, flattening it out, and I was just like, "This is never gonna work." But it just so happened that he was looking for someone like me. But yeah, it kind of happened very quickly.
1: How did you actually learn that you'd that you'd gotten it after these several auditions or whatever? He
0: he never let on that he liked me, and I was actually reading for the middle set of children. There was never meant to be the really young kids in the film. Okay, and they were going to go for someone. A lot older to play the lead and when I went in I read that and Danny did something quite amazing and he, he told me when I got the role he's like I'm gonna I'm gonna put trust in the youth in this film <laughs> and I'm gonna age everything down right. so you're gonna be that guy in the hot seat and we're gonna move everything down a gear and that was pretty amazing when I got that call I was walking home from like our eighth meeting or something yeah. with my mum and then gail stevens calls and she goes danny wants to talk to you and he never really i the last audition i did i thought i'd completely messed it up and you know i didn't get any laughs for the comedy bits and you know i i knew i didn't nail the real emotional stuff and i just came out of there feeling miserable mm-hmm. and then i was in central london one day gail stevens calls me and danny's like yeah you're in it just completely was a life-changing moment That's
1: awesome so Quite soon after, if I have the correct information, he wanted to go off and scout locations in India, and you went with him. Is that yeah. right, and you had been to India before, but it hadn't been a, a wonderful experience in, earlier in your life. I
0: mean, I went unconsciously, I was so yeah. young yeah I went for a family wedding in, you know in, out in Gujarat somewhere, and I just was, I was mauled by mosquitoes, like <laughs> you know, my eyelids were closed, it was just uh, it was horrible, but I don't remember much of that right. So it was important for him to get me out there because I had the right essence of the man, but I didn't have the the culture in me, ironically. So I went there and I just followed them around and all these location scouts and the city just opened itself up to us. And when you're going there with such a curious, intelligent man like Danny, you really just there was one day we were walking through the slums and we stopped at this tiny little sweet shop, the size of a cupboard. It's basically just a wall full of sweets and a man standing in front mm-hmm. of it. And Danny's like, "Come around here, let me show you something." And we walk around the back of these sweets, and there's like a mini makeshift arcade with Pac-Man, Super <laughs> Mario, and the kids are sharing, you know, their pocket money. Like it's like two rupees or something right. to have five lives to play these games. And he turns to me and goes, you see that? Kids are just the same everywhere. Right. That's and right. um, it was it was pretty amazing, actually, that so experience. So it changed the way you thought yeah. about And Indiana. I actually didn't feel comfortable because no matter how I looked or how I dressed, even if I didn't wear my Nike t-shirt, I, people could still smell the foreigner in me. Mm-hmm. And that really bothered me. So when the crew, after the location scout, took a Christmas break, I asked Danny to stay down. And I just stayed there alone for Christmas. Mm. And it was the first big executive decision I'd made as like a 17 year old. My parents were shocked and they're like, are you sure you don't want to come back? And Danny's like, are you sure you want to be there? Because none of the crew are going to be there. And I'm like, yeah, just, you know, let me stay. And I just walked the streets until the sun went down. And I started to try and absorb the vibe. And I realized that, you know, in London, everyone's walking around quickly. Their eyes are down. You don't want to have too much eye contact with someone. But... Even though the city's so chaotic, everyone's got an ease to them. And something clicked in that those two weeks.
1: And how would you say it, it changed the way you thought about approaching the character, it's himself?
0: I was going into it hungry, really hungry. I'd, I'd had this amazing skins experience, but I, I didn't feel like I'd really done myself justice in the performance department. I'd had a great time in the first season. And I, I didn't even know what speed or action meant the first day I walked on set. And then the second season was when I started to get a taste of what that kind of rally was like if you're opposite an actor and you can actually hit the ball back correctly. And then it was in Slumdog, when I got that opportunity, I was like, okay, I'm going to really put everything into it yeah. and try and transform if I can.
1: Once this all got rolling, what was, what was the greatest challenge? I mean, this was, I guess, your first leading sizable role in in anything yeah. and it was also probably therefore your first real experience of having to do a lot of things out of sequence which in a story about a guy flashing back to a pivotal moment in his past if you hadn't lived that past as a character it just it must have thrown you a, a bit or were you were you at home with it i remember
0: the first thing i did was actually he'd built this rig where there was a bucket and they cut the bottom of it out and they put a big sheet of glass in They had a camera underneath. And the first thing I shot for Slumdog was Saurabh Shukla or Irfan Khan, one of the two, shoving my head in this bucket (laughs) (laughs) Uh, in the interrogation scenes. And that was like, yeah, it was, we did that for half a day. And uh, I I think I got an eye infection or something because of the amount of times I was getting Right. Uh, and it was just, I was totally off my center. Right. But that's the magic of Danny, yeah. is he's always keeping you on your toes, throwing you curveballs on set. You never knew what
1: to expect when we were filming that. And it must have helped to have with you for most of this, if not all of it, your two other of the three musketeers who were <laughs> Madur, M- Metal. I hope yeah. I'm saying that right, and yeah. certainly Frida Pinto. So you guys all became and worked very closely, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. Actually, Madur, when we... He came in for his last audition with me uh, and I'd had done, i got the role. Yeah. And as soon as he landed it in the room that day, Danny told us to stay together. And I went and stayed at his house for a, like a, a couple of days. He came and stayed with me in the hotel. And it was about these two brothers bonding. He oh. really wanted to. And I'd never seen Godfather before. <laughs> <laughs> and he would said, go watch Godfather. yeah and <laughs> so you guys did. we sat down and watched Godfather. I'm ashamed to say I hadn't seen it. But no, that's yeah. great.
1: And you and Frida, Frida was several years older, right? Yeah. Or is several years, obviously. Like six years, I think. <laughs> yeah. And so did you guys, you guys kind of just click right away as well? Well, I, I remember when
0: I flew in, Danny made me audition with, at the logline for this character is she's meant to be the most beautiful creature yeah. you've ever seen has to be worth the effort this man's <laughs> gonna go through. And I was, there was 15 of the most beautiful women I'd ever seen come into the room. And I just stepped off a plane from London. Right. And I thought I was the the bee's knees. I was like, there's gonna be all these girls with greasy hair and tika marks on their forehead right. and saris rocking in the room. And they're gonna look at me in my cool jeans and think, wow, he's awesome. Right. And it was so the contrary. All these older women came in and schooled me in how right. to act. They were more worldly than I'd... And she came in and completely... She was actually in traditional clothes because really? Danny wanted her to be more earthy. She's, so, she's very educated and she came across a, a bit too wealthy, I right, guess. Right. So she'd come in in this beautiful kind of Indian kurta top and I was like, whoa. <laughs> completely <laughs> took my breath away and, I, and right. I, I could barely speak. And we did this scene and I was getting very emotional and I, I went up to the casting director in India afterwards. And I was like, what did she think? Cause I was feeling something. It was amazing. Right. right? And she's like, she felt like she was doing the scene with a, a baby. And I was like, <laughs>
1: damn. <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah, so yeah. one last production of that movie question, which is obviously the incredible dance sequence that closes the film. You guys shot it, I guess at the Victoria terminus train station, mm. very elaborate, very coordinated, very memorable. What was it like to put together? Ah, It was
0: that was never in the script originally. And this is what I was talking about, about Danny. He's a really um, open filmmaker. And that means, you know, he'll be sitting in on the car on the way to work. And there was a song his driver kept playing. And he he just had this light bulb moment. And he came in and said, dance, (laughs) India, dance It's in the culture, it's in their DNA. We need to celebrate this love at the end of the film. I'm like, great, yeah, I'll kiss her, and he's like, no, you're gonna, <laughs> we're gonna go to the busiest station probably in the world, right. and we're gonna do a massive Bollywood number, and I thought he was joking, and the next day they'd flown in this choreographer Longi Fernandez, he's a really flamboyant, very funny Jim Carrey-esque kind of creature, <laughs> and we were practicing these moves, and again I was just, I can't move for the life of me, <laughs> and Frida was amazing, because she's grown up watching these Bollywood films. And he, because I was trying to play it cool a lot of the time, you know, I never used to dance. You know, right. I was the guy at prom that was standing in the right, corner right, right, right. with no date. <laughs> and then at the end of a shoot day, he would go and go to the center of the station without blocking anything off. He would put a boombox down and play the song and make me and her dance.
1: In front of everybody. In front right.
0: of everyone. And he did that for three nights. And the first time, I think I probably started crying, I think. <laughs> But you had to go on. And by the end of it, I remember at one point someone had put money down in front of us <laughs> on the second day thinking we were performers. Right, right. But it was about, you know, just submitting yourself to this environment. Right. Yeah, The to the kind of energy of the
1: city. It's such a great release at the end of the movie. Yeah, People yeah. People just love it. So we were just talking as you came in here about the Toronto International Film Festival premiere of that movie. I think it was at the Ryerson Theatre, which is a great old mm-hmm. theatre there. And one of the most memorable screenings I've ever been at, this standing ovation. People wow. just didn't want didn't to leave. But once they did, uh, a lot of them headed over to this after party where I, I mentioned <laughs> I came in as you did. And I remember seeing this kind of dazed and delighted look as you and Frida came in. Did you realize in that moment that your lives had changed that night or was it, did it take a while to kind of sink in? Yeah, I mean, I'd never been to a screening of anything before.
0: It was my first film. And that was the first I, time seeing the movie, yeah, right? Yeah, and I'd I'd remember when I landed in Toronto in my school shoes and everyone was, you know, Frieda's stylist and everyone was like, look at him, he looks like a mess. He can't <laughs> walk the carpet looking like this. And I, it was all so much for me at that time. Yeah. And you know, we hadn't been media trained or anything. So we're kind of just going through it so naive. And then all of a sudden we walk into this room after the screening and every single person was standing up clapping and they would not sit down. And it was so overwhelming Mm -hmm. to to have a a response like that to the film. And it was just a feeling of joy. It was around about the time that Obama was just about, and you know, everyone was wearing those badges and it was Mm -hmm. a time of hope. And rooting and, for the underdog. Yeah, yeah, rooting for the underdog. And uh, it just hit a chord with people at that time, and it was beautiful. We came out of that delirious, yeah. and that's where you saw us at the yes. party. Yeah. We were literally clinging on to each other yeah. for dear life because we there, something changed
1: in that moment. Oh, it was so, yeah. so great to see. And so you ended up with SAG and BAFTA nominations. The film got a ton of Oscar nominations. And then the night when you guys dominated at the Oscars, which I... I know it was your first time there, it was my first time mm-hmm. there as well. I remember being very taken with how genuinely thrilled and appreciative everyone associated with the film was, from Danny to the little kids who had been flown in. Mm. And I just wonder also what that night would have been like. That must have just been the, the height of surreal things. Yeah, for
0: I remember the morning of, I think it, I, I'd done some interview for a Time magazine, mm-hmm. And they'd ask me if you'd actually won a million dollars, what would you do with it? And I gave a very, you know, sensible answer. I'd put it into a savings account yeah. and buy my parents. <laughs> home. They're like, no, you've got to say something a bit more fun. Right. So I was like, I'll buy a, you know, a thousand tubs of popcorn and a Rolls Royce Phantom in every color or something. And then they printed that one, obviously. <laughs> that right. But she came and did an interview with me that day and she gave me a little gift, which was like a paperweight Rolls Royce Phantom oh, thing. Oh, that's great. And that started off the morning really fun. Yeah. And, uh, we are staying at the Four Seasons and mm-hmm. I could hear this music blaring down the corridor. So I decide to follow the sound and I'm following it and there's a room open down the corridor and I go in and it's Mickey Rourke. Oh my God. And he's there <laughs> and there's these two puppies running around. Right. Like right. these little uh, running around and there's all his friends, Mickey, and he's right. just running around topless and there's like a massive party going on and there's me standing there like,
1: oh, right. hey.
0: And he comes in and gives me a massive bear hug. He's got all oil on his chest. He's probably had a massage or something i don't know and it was just madness right. and i think someone rescued me from that room and i got changed walked the carpet and it just was me and danny were touching the bottoms of each oscar statue as a good luck thing that on night. your way into the ceremony on the way into the ceremony yeah. then we got there and what was it like eight
1: times we it won or something and it was just a magical. Culminating with you guys winning picture yeah. and everybody being... I remember you were holding up, I think, the little kids. Yeah, right?
0: Rubina. Yeah. She couldn't see. And I, was, I get really nervous on those things. So I, I went to the back and I saw her standing there behind everyone. So I just lifted her up so she could right. see in the front. But it was so beautiful looking around at all these faces that you've worked so hard with. Yeah. Been in the slums of India together. And then all of a sudden, you're all wearing shiny shoes and you're standing there
1: <laughs> on the stage of the Oscars. It really... It was a crazy crazy moment now very quickly after a cool night like that I'm sure the the, the question starts arising how do you follow something that's been so successful and yeah, the answer is unsuccessfully no <laughs> well for 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 probably anybody yeah. it would be a tough thing and and I guess you've discussed the fact that for a little while there things were pretty dry right mm.
0: I mean I'd always got that feeling when I was walking those carpets I I've I there was a, a niggling feeling that I, I I was, there was a discomfort because I'm sharing these carpets and getting all this attention. And actually there are veterans on the, you know, that have really earned that position to walk those carpets, win those awards. And I, I'm still figuring it out, you know, not that I hadn't worked hard, but I'm figuring it out, you know, then, you know, afterwards, I'd called up my team and said, I'm hungry. Give me, let's find something. And I really want to sink my teeth Mm -hmm. into it. And I want to, you know, prove myself and earn this position that I've been given. Mm -hmm. But there was nothing really.
1: What was your sense of why that was?
0: I I just, just, the the slum dog was so uh, ahead of its years in that it supplied a a substantial leading role for an Indian man. And that had never been done before yeah. properly in cinema. The kit, you know, half of it was not in English. It, it right. was subtitled. It was, it broke the mold in a million different ways, you know. So to follow that, you know, I think the industry was still catching up. It was ready to praise it and acknowledge how amazingly ahead of its time it was. But actually, how do you catch up with that? So I I, the, I the was getting a lot of those geeky, funny, sidekick friend roles. And I'd
1: kind of done that in Skins. Yeah, you'd grown beyond that um, at that point, right? yeah. And and I guess uh, maybe another consideration you tell me was that because the movie had been so successful to the point of already in its own time becoming kind of iconic, did some people have a hard time imagining you as somebody else, even if it was a, a part that called for an Indian actor like the one I read about Life of Pi, for instance? Yeah, where, you know,
0: yeah, that was, you know, you're kind of put in this beautiful, amazing place of privilege, but it was like being in a, a gold-plated cage, mm-hmm. you know. Then this one, after ages, I'd read this book, the guy was Pai Patel, and, I was, mm-hmm. and I'd and i connected to him because I'm Patel, I'm right. like, oh, I love everything right. about it. It was Ang Lee, it was all the great ingredients, another great filmmaker, I thought. And I d- they just weren't interested in auditioning me, and I completely understand it. You know, Ang is a, a great filmmaker, and he wanted to differentiate his film and have no similarities drawn to the, the kind of whirlwind that had happened the year or so before it. So that meant not indulging and in trying to cast me. And a lot of people think it's the contrary. Our oh, Dev Patel gets all the Indian roles. It's actually the opposite. Mm-hmm. And I'm fighting against the, the early success I've had with this film.
1: Right, right.
0: You know, th- then this one film did come up, which was
1: Airbender. Right. So this is the last yeah. Airbender ended up coming out in 2010. M. Night Shyamalan's adaptation of the Nickelodeon animated series. Hundred fifty million dollars. What was the Slumdog budget? I don't know, but well, like I've, a fraction of that. Fraction, yeah. yeah, fraction. So here you're. It was, a
0: se- it was like seven million pounds, I think, was Slumdog's okay. budget. Yeah.
1: So now, in a your first big studio, massive experience, you're you're playing the villain. My sense is that neither the experience nor the finished product were what you hoped they would be. From what I've read. First of all, I was there was an excitement because it was the first thing that. I'd
0: actually auditioned for, I'd sent a tape in for, and it got really high up there, and then I didn't hear anything for a while, and I think they'd gone with someone else. Then I think there was a big controversy, and then all of a sudden my my agent's phone rang, and they said, yeah, I actually, we wanna read Dev again, or something had happened. And from that moment, I should've realized, oh, wait a minute, maybe I wonder why I'm <laughs> in this uh, now. <laughs> Am I the salve, or what? But, you know, I was excited, because M. Night is an incredible filmmaker. And Frank Marshall was attached. Uh, it was Andrew Lesney, you know, rest in peace, who's the DOP of Lord of the Rings. Mm-hmm. On paper, it was a win. Right. And for me, who had grown up be- idolizing Bruce Lee, and Jet Lee and all those great martial artists, Jackie Chan, watching this cartoon, Avatar, everything about it was like, yes, I, I wanna do that. I'm a black belt in martial arts. I yeah. can express myself yeah. this way. Actually, I was very, very out of my depth in a big way. It just was so completely opposite to my experience on Slumdog. You know, because you're in this big machine, mm-hmm. you know, this kind of corporate machine, and it, there's no real space to explore.
1: And anything. it's less about the story than it is about the the effects or the... Yeah,
0: and, you know, I don't know if I'm a technical actor now. I think I am. Maybe I'm, more, I'm better at it. But I like to fight for something which is honesty. I search for that. And that can be raw and gritty, and in big films like that, this it's a different kind of technique that's involved, and yeah. it didn't suit my style. Right. My, like I, Danny was free with us, you know. He would wanted us, you know. If a pot fell over, you'd ro- keep rolling, right. and you'd play with that. If you're sweating, if you'd sneeze, there's bubbles coming out of your nose. <laughs> it was beautiful. Right. It was better. Right. And this, it's the complete opposite. You know, I had this massive prosthetic covering half of my face. I had this big costume and swords poking into my back and hair spiked and gelled till it reached Jupiter. Yeah, I wasn't the right person for the role, basically.
1: And not every one of them is going to work. That one obviously, you know, had its issues when people had their issues with it. But you bounced back just a year after that in a big way with Best Exotic Marigold Hotel, which, just to remind people... You're playing the owner of, a, of an Indian hotel that's basically overrun by these British pensioners who happen to be played by Judy Dench, Maggie Smith, Bill Nye, Tom Wilkinson, Penelope Wilton, just an all-star team of, yeah. of Brits and cost very little money but grossed over $100 million. I could be wrong, but I would imagine that doing that must have felt like going to RADA or somewhere, you know, just the best acting school you could hope for. I'd found my family, yeah. is what I'd found.
0: I'd found the, a, a welcoming family. And that's what you look for in films, like in Lion, Slumdog, Marigold. The ones that have worked f- for me yeah. is because I've been surrounded by a good family. Yeah, You know, all of those thespians in there are so warm, so welcoming. The energy that John Madden creates on set, he's worked with Judy and Shakespeare in Love. Judy and Maggie are like besties. Right. And you'd see them in the morning, you know... <laughs> Having Coffee Together as a Peacock Runs by (laughs) Graham Broadbent. You know, this producer that we had was the, you know, I'd auditioned before John Madden had actually attached himself and it was another director. Mm -hmm. And they didn't want me for this role because he was meant to be a middle-aged, washed-up Indian man who was a failure at life. And he'd inherited this hotel and didn't know what to do with it. And I loved it because my mother works as a carer for the elderly. Mm -hmm. So I really understood the idea of, Living life and you know and, and embracing risk at any age, and not giving up and everything you know. So I, you know, my my agents worked really hard to get me in the room, and I did a Skype audition mm-hmm. with the first director, this guy George C. Wolf, and Graham Broadbent was in. The producer was in the room, and I pitched them this guy it was a bit Peter Sellers, a bit Faulty Towers, and some drunk uncles of mine all in there. <laughs> And there was a lag in the Skype, so I didn't know if it was going down well, but I looked at Graham's face, and as soon as I did this big pitch of welcome to this hotel, this, 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 he started smiling, and I was like, okay, I've got something here. That's great. Because you have to really go out there with a character like that. Yeah. I got the role, and then John came on, and I didn't get the role. I lost it again. Oh, jeez. And John was like, I just, I can't see him. He's too young. This is not what's on the page, so it was pitched to me as another reading just go in and read the script with John but i knew in my head if i didn't smash it out of the park i'm going to lose something that i just celebrated right. through the whole family right. game right and it worked out really well That's and great. and
1: he was the right man and it was beautiful and then there was of course already a a sequel in 2015 so it's it's a very unusual beloved franchise we don't have too many with so many you know the average age yeah. is whatever it is it's so cheeky
0: that but we were all you know, I'm not even afraid in saying it. We all just wanted to come back and be yeah. together again. That's great. And it's the complete, it's honest, like, it was pure honesty. No one was in their trailers. Right. Or, or you know, I'd wait. I'd walk in my trailer and Old Parker's sitting there, you know, <laughs> writing a bit of the script, our casting director's in there, having coffee. It's just
1: such a, a feeling of community all the time. That's great. Well, a year after the first one came out, you did something that for a lot of Hollywood's history was sort of unthinkable for somebody who was building a movie career, which is to go and do TV. You would come from TV, but it used to be you don't go back to do TV. Now it's actually the, the cool thing to do. But for you, what made you say yes when you were asked or, you know, when the opportunity arose to possibly play Neil, this blogger on HBO's The Newsroom? A couple things. First of all, I didn't want to do it. <laughs> I didn't want to do
0: it because I felt like that it was just so intense that the material on the page and the 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 idea of doing that every week
1: <laughs> and what you're referring to is Aaron, Aaron Sorgan Sorkin dialogue, yeah. right?
0: <laughs> and also he was you know in a way this tech dude and I was like I don't want to do that <laughs> like he's not even got a proper character name he's got like four lines in this episode right. but there was no work absolutely no work so I called up my agents and I was like, you know, what? it's okay. I know I need the cash right now, but I don't want to do it. And they're like, you're insane. This is, Aaron, yeah. this is Aaron Sorkin. This is Scott Rudin. Right. You're going to get your ass on a plane <laughs> to New York and you're going to at least sit in the read through. So right. I was like, okay, fine. Right. I get there and never has my mind changed so quickly. The first episode opens with Jeff Daniels delivering just a, an ins- a, amazing speech about yeah. why America isn't great, but it could be great again. Isn't the greatest country in the world, but it could be. And it's just the way he delivered that in the room. And then Sam Waterston comes in a few scenes later, takes over the reins, Thomas Sadowski. And I'm looking at these thespians and actors that have been around so much more talented than I am, so much more experienced. And I, I was like, i got to be a part of this because I can learn so much from these people. Aaron was great because he, he really embraced me. I found that process really hard actually and he
1: you know would give me the script a couple days earlier so I could learn my lines because we should just say and correct Mm. me if any of this is wrong but he writes very specific dialogue Mm. very dense dialogue and you you don't veer from it at all not at all yeah not at all it's it's a real
0: it's got it's its own song and it's, it's it's all about the orchestra it's it's not about a single piece of dialogue but actually how everyone jumps in on each other and it kind of leads to a crescendo so you're in these rooms for five hours you know in the conference room and everyone's got a massive monologue to deliver and everyone's cutting each other off and it's it's sometimes you're going insane because there's no windows and you're just running this to get each coverage on each actor it's it's very
1: difficult but incredible so you moved to the u.s for the first time to do that right Mm -hmm. and it lasted from 2012 through 2014 which is I think, briefer than they would have wanted. And I wonder if you just have a theory for why that show provoked very strong feelings. Not all positive. Some people had their issues with it. What do you think was at the root of that? Well, it's a political show. Mm -hmm. That's where you're going to divide people. And, you know,
0: it it didn't last as long as other people wanted it to. Purely, that was Aaron's decision. Mm -hmm. And I respect that. I, I was struggling just getting the lines in my brain and not being American and having to go home every night and learn about this congresswoman or that senator. Mm -hmm. So I kind of looked like I knew what I was saying was just a lot.
1: Did you have a secret for doing that? How did Uh, you learn that? No,
0: just cramming and panicking. Lots of panic attacks. But Aaron, you know, you'd get this script, it's so dense. It's just so much ink on that page. And so much kind of research gone into it from him and the whole team. To be able to keep that up at that standard is, is impossible. Yeah, It's very difficult. So he kind of, you know, wanted to say what he had to
1: say and then that was it, mic drop, you know. <laughs> All right, so that brings us to 2016, which was a huge year for you, not only because of Lion, which we're coming to, but also because of another film, which in which some people feel you were even better, which was the man who knew Infinity, which unfortunately didn't get as much attention, but I've got to ask you about it because... I mean, I confess, I saw it only on a plane, I didn't, yeah. I, 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 and I was glad I did, but oh, in that you play the Indian mathematician, Ramanujan, and this is the same guy that, who Robin Williams references, I think in Goodwill Hunting, yeah, yeah, and yeah. just an amazing genius who, who changed the math world. How did that come about where it's you and Jeremy Irons going toe to toe for two hours? That
0: script had been floating around for like 10 years. And they'd attached various actors, some out of India, and it, it just didn't get any traction. And then it landed on my desk, and I read it, and I was blown away and slightly embarrassed. I didn't know of this incredible man that, who's helped inspire, and his calculus went into our credit cards and the internet. You know, the 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 building blocks of such massive things. The only thing that was frustrating about it was I felt that it was stifled in too much mathematical technical jargon so I sat down with Matt the writer director and Ed Pressman the producer and I was like I think this guy's incredible and I think this story is so relevant because it's about a boy from the middle of India who is a genius and about a a stiff-collared British academic who seems to have a kind of difficulty interacting with other human beings, but somehow he takes this Indian man, puts his entire career on the line, and embraces him almost as his own son. Mm-hmm. And it's colorblind, and it's about how people will put all their differences aside, culture, everything, in order to 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 achieve something and, and, and to service their art. Right. I love that about yeah. it. And I said, that is something that would be great to put out in the world, wouldn't it? It had this beautiful spiritual element to it, ideologies of a man who was an atheist, who was a mathematician who thought everything in life should have to be proved. So how could there be a God? I can't prove there's a God. But there's another man who was a Jackson Pollock of mathematicians and thought, actually, my, my inspiration comes from nature and love and the stars in the sky. If there's an infinite amount of stars in the sky, there needs to be something that's infinite and that our art, our mathematics should represent the infinite. And there's all these concepts that so I just told him, look, we got to get rid of this X equals pi, whatever, blah, 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 blah. (laughs) And let's talk about these two as human beings. And he loved that idea. So we started working on the script and he Mm -hmm. would show it to me every month or so. Mm -hmm. And then we got to a stage where I thought, all right, this is where I want it. I think it would really hit the Mm -hmm. sweet spot. And then we sent it to Jeremy Irons Mm -hmm. and he came on and that was the biggest win. That's great. And then it completely got fully financed from there. And we were out in India and in London shooting it on a really super tight budget. But it was done with a lot of love. And uh, it was the first time that I'd kind of been able to
1: greenlight something. It's great. And I yeah. highly recommend that people check it out. And so the second one, though, I mean, I guess for that one, because your character was supposed to be very skinny and kind of scrawny, mm. that did not help matters for the one that followed because for Lion now, we'll come to why that is in a second, but just first of all, how did you first hear about the story of Saru Briarly And why did you wanna be a part of the cinematic telling of that story so much so that you took very unusual steps to pursue the part? I
0: just, uh, I was sent an article I'd read it at some point early on and I was told, look, they're making this into a movie, but just have a read of this, it's crazy. And I read it and was completely moved. The fact that, you know, the sheer resilience of this guy, it's just everything about it appealed to me. Then they it found its feet, found the producers, and I said, Yeah, I've got to get in the room. I pestered I my agents. They, you know, I ended up knocking on Garth and Luke's door as they're writing the script.
1: Like just going to their house? Yeah,
0: going to their house yeah. just to, to express to them how much I wanted to do it. But right. it was quite awkward because I hadn't even put any scenes down and and it was premature so you know that happened and again i was made aware that i'm fighting against my slum dog tag the stamp yeah the brand so i was like damn man and they're like you know garth really not seeing him as the guy like he's a really garth really likes him as a person but he's just a wafer thin you know and also marigold he's like he doesn't want the guy from Marigold Hotel he needs a really raw nuanced kind of performance there something natural all of this was music to my ears and I heard it and was like that's it we're going for it Mm -hmm. that's that's what I want to show to the world and this script a journey like this is never come going to come around again Mm -hmm. so let's all all systems go so everyone my team in London the one in LA we were after it and then I had to audition and I sent sent a tape out and Garth watched it. He really liked it. And then I was out in London about to start filming The Man Who Knew Infinity with Jeremy. And I'd been working on an Indian accent for about two months. And then they're like, Garth's going to see you in a week. And you've got to prepare it, some sort of Aussie dialect so that you're not going to completely hash it up. And I was just panicking. I was like, I don't know what to do. So I was I started watching all these videos from Australian Master Chef to the real <laughs> Saru. And I walked in and we spent six hours in the room together and I came out of that and he, and he, once I got the role, he's like, we need to really change you now.
1: That six hours was, you went in there without the part, something happened and then you came out with the part?
0: Yeah. So it'd been a couple of a, a couple Skype conversations, our initial first meeting, I'd sent him the tapes of all the scenes and then it was that six hours in that room. And I'd ran the scenes with an actress who played kind of played Rooney's parts. Mm-hmm. And I play did all the scenes with Divian who plays the brother. And then I read with the casting director the scene with scenes with me and Nicole. And the last thing I did was this kind of big kind of emotional cathartic release where he told me to roar. And I was so nervous going into the audition. I was with my best friend Ruggle. And he played he played me this song that I like listening to from this in a Ritu film Mm babble it's called deportation Mm -hmm. it's a beautiful strings kind of piece and garth's like i'm going to put on some music for you before you do this and i just want you to let loose on me to scream cry exercise the demons Mm -hmm. of your past Mm -hmm. so you can go into your future which is what saru does in a way and he put on this song no way out of anything he could have chosen it was that that's and i was looking out the window getting in my mind frame and all of a sudden i heard the first few notes and it's really haunting, the song. And I just turned around and I was there. And it was this moment of serendipity. It was quite beautiful, actually. It
1: was amazing. Incredible. So that began eight months of of physical and spiritual and all kinds of preparatory work, right? Maybe just take a moment so that maybe if there's a... a I guess it would be just as interesting for a non-actor as an actor who's listening to understand how much goes into just one part.
0: Yeah, so when I got the role... I called up my manager, Stephanie, and I was like, okay, so let's not entertain anything for the next eight months. I don't want to go up for anything. I don't want to read anything. I want to commit every fiber of myself to getting it right. And the first port of call was getting bigger because I was very skinny from The Man Who knew Infinity. By default, I'm just a skinny guy. But I was even skinnier to play that role.
1: It's so funny. I just have to interject that the thing that got you... Slumdog was that you were not buff yeah, yeah. and now you the thing that was going to get you this was if you got to be buff, <laughs> exactly but anyway so
0: we'd got this amazing personal trainer ryan for and i walked into this gym for the first day and really was like a deer in headlights you know just completely didn't know what i was doing and we went about doing the training mm-hmm. and eating like a madman and for an hour a day i would do dialect sessions over skype with this woman jenny kent in sydney mm-hmm. so i was. Building the voice as I was building my body. Mm -hmm. And it was beautiful because then I got to India. And once that was done and I looked and sounded like the guy, I could go and start to really be the guy. And that's building the history. It's like doing a pilgrimage.
1: And this is before anybody else from the film is in India.
0: Well, they're they're there filming Sunny. Okay. Doing the the bleeding first part of the film. And so I went on the trains and traveled around kind of india i went to orphanages he made me write diaries do lots of strange exercises it was a process of going inside you know becoming you know reflection and kind of nostalgia swimming in a nostalgic space it really helped being bigger as the first time i realized i moved differently i mm-hmm. felt like a a sportier aussie guy i'm gonna I'm play an older brother and the guy that's cast as the younger brothers actually older than me and I felt that age difference in the audition but on the day I was bigger I Mm -hmm. felt older it was adopting a different physical space all of it helped actually so Garth was incredible in doing that
1: and in terms of Sonny you mentioned Sonny this is the at that time six-year-old actor who plays the younger version of your character who had never acted before were you guys coordinating in any way so that you as an older version of him were doing things similarly to the way he was doing them as the younger version of the character? How did that work? We spoke about that, but there was never really a moment in the script.
0: There was one moment that never made it in the film where he sits on the plane for the first time and he opens the shutter of the window and then closes it, opens it, closes it, opens and closes it. He does that three times just to make sure the world below is real. And we played with that and did that on yeah. the day when I'm flying to India as an adult. Uh, but it never made the cut. But that was the only okay. single piece that was the... the. Otherwise, there's a moment, as Luke describes it in the film, a moment of baptism, where mm-hmm. I come out of the water halfway through the film and uh, he's an Australian. Because mm-hmm. that's what Saru is. Mm-hmm. As an adult, he had no real connection to India in a way, except for his family. He tried to shun that. And suppress all those feelings so that he could function and not be suffocated by the guilt that he's living this incredible life and they could be there on the train tracks starving and searching for him. So that was the only way he could function. It was his defense mechanism. So everything from the cricket team he supported to everything was Australian, the way he spoke. So me and Sonny didn't need to copy each other, but I was there watching everything he did, most of the scenes so that I could take um, mental snapshots yeah. of those scenes so that even Garth did stuff like make us play together in the fields and mm-hmm. the forest that I walked through at the end and he would record the sound of those leaves and Sunny laughing in Priyanka and he would play that back to me when I'm doing my Google searching in Melbourne.
1: Well, that's what I was going to ask because I remember there was one bit you had said when we we had done a and a recently where that, there, that Garth was unconventional in, in directing. Was it the Google Earth scene where you're trying to piece together where you're from? Like he was basically talking to you yeah. or doing something while you were acting? Well,
0: from that first audition, like what we both enjoyed was the idea of music really helps me get somewhere. And he loves playing music on set to create an atmosphere. And that last scene, it's quite a few scenes put into one where he's searching for home. And it's a, quite a few beats before he finds it and we just thought let's run the camera and let me just riff in that space so we were kind of like this band and you had greg frazier with this massive big kind of bazooka pointed at my face you know point blank the set was cleared and garth was sitting to my left with the monitor in his hand and he put on his laptop that song the
1: one from um, yeah yeah yeah. and there's actually
0: another one from waltz with basher called iconography which i really like listening to it's you know no lyrics just um emotion Mm -hmm. you know i'm looking at a blank screen or if i can wrangle this laptop i'm hovering over russia or something you can never get it to you know (laughs) so he's talking me through you know now you're by this train station now you're passing the bourguin via feel it smell it now you're getting closer you can you can feel the, the her breath on the back of your neck. And he's, it was kind of like I was in a state of utter hypnosis. And what I what Danny was trying to do with me so many years ago was completely submit to something. I'd achieved that now in that moment where i just submitted. And it wasn't my consci- conscience in my head. It was Garth's voice. And I went there, and it was beautiful. And by the end of it, they called Garth. Was, it was quiet for ages, and then he went, and I looked up at Greg, and he was wiping tears from his eyes. And it was mad because, you, you know, it's it's you're swimming in this joy and pain, always in the role. You know, when he meets her, not to give too much away, right, but right. it's... Well, that's, no, that's yeah. where we're going
1: here, because I wonder if it is as emotional in the doing as it is for... I mean, I've seen the movie like four or five times at this point at different festivals and everything. I love it. And I look around now when we get to those the sort of the emotional payoff. And I really, by this point, I'm convinced that you need to check your pulse if you're not (laughs) crying, because it just the whole place you can hear it. And for you, though, that, you know, spoiler alert, that final resolution, I guess you could say, of his questions, when you were filming that, you know, trying to get to the moment of the reunion, I believe a lot of those people were not actors, so there must have been. It must heighten the realism of the moment. Yeah, it's the
0: difficult, most difficult thing I've ever done, purely because of the anticipation. You know, because I've been prepping for eight months, sleepless nights, and I'm flying to India, and the first thing I'm going to do is meet, do the climax of the film, and. You know, you're there three weeks in advance and everyone's like, oh, you know, the crew are like three weeks to go till the big day. And then it's like two Jeez. weeks to go or a week to go. Tomorrow's a big day. And you're just like, thanks. You know, yeah. Keep reminding you about it. No pressure. But, you know, as I experienced that moment, the audience did. Mm-hmm. And the guy that I showed the picture to of young Saru, he's the best English speaking guy in the village. He was a school teacher and he wasn't an actor. And I follow him through this kind of, labyrinth of corridors and come out into an opening in the village and there is a group of people and I hadn't been able to spend time with Priyanka before then because Garth said you're not allowed to see each other now for a while and when I saw her she had been aged so beautifully you know and we were like these two molecules colliding and she had actually told three women in that in the village that were in that crowd that she's about to meet her son that she hasn't met in 25 years. Wow. And he's about to come and meet her for the first time. So they were responding to it. Like it was a real, oh my God. the truth. And you know, it's the first time it all felt like this single molecule and, and all these hands started reaching forward and touching my face and touching her. And everyone was crying with us, laughing with us. And you're swimming in this first as Saru says it, the real Saru, you know, the greatest moment of my life was finding my mother again. But then at that very same moment, spoiler alert, Right, I found out that my, my hero had died. Mm-hmm. He finds out that his brother is no longer there. Mm-hmm. And it's to go from that absolute euphoria, yeah. giddy euphoria to being told that it's your morning straight away and it's a lot it was really weird to
1: play that did you only do that once or did you have to do that take a couple times we ran
0: it quite a few times but by what the first three times were the real big ones because then afterwards the, the the crowd around you start to turn feral in a way right. and you start to look around and the boys are now giggling because right. they're watching these two people in the middle crying right. again first they lo- they're like really happy and then they're watching these two people crying just if you're not an extra right. or an actor you're like wait these guys look insane <laughs> so me and priyanka by the end of it we're just holding on to each other for dear life because right. you can you're still in the moment but now you can they're editing out people giggling right. and stuff like that oh my god but i don't want to spoil the mystery of that but right Honestly, it was truthful when we did uh, it you for tell. the first few times. Yeah.
1: Very last few things here. Just what was it like going back to Toronto, the the scene of the Slumdog Triumph to unveil this movie which was greeted very similarly and went in with similar a similar low profile. People didn't, you know, there were there's always the list of ones you better look for. People <laughs> didn't know much about this, partly because Garth had never made a feature film before just what was that whole experience like where in the end it got that huge ovation and then out of hundreds of films came in second i think for the audience award yeah. at the whole festival
0: that was pretty amazing you know I, there was a weird better sense of calm in my head cuz i you know it's 10 not 10 but like uh, eight. 8 years yeah. since slum dog and i'd put in a lot of time and i'd what i hadn't done before that was properly struggle you know and in between Slumdog and this film, that's what I've done is I've struggled. There's been times when I'm, I am was worried, like, how am I going to keep the lights on in this apartment? Am I going to have to move back into my house in London? All these thoughts go through your head mm-hmm. and you've taken in roles that have not worked out well. You've been critically panned. You've been nominated for a Razzie. You've been everywhere. So to come there and stand next to Rooney Mara and Nicole Kidman, Priyanka Bose and Garth, a man that is now, you know he is like a a really dear, dear friend to me. Mm -hmm. I felt all of a sudden just
1: calm for a second and it was nice. You, I know, have been asked a lot about comparisons between Slumdog and Lion and that you kind of bristle, I think, a little bit at that, right? And I mean, I think the root of that seems to be that we're seeing a kid who has a brother who has some problems and who eventually gets reunited with somebody that was separated and... Whatever, but it is a little overly simplistic, isn't it? To try to make those, it's almost unfair, right? Yeah, I
0: mean, yeah, it's like comparing Enter the Dragon to Die Hard because there's action in both, Right, right. right. you know? They're completely different journeys, you know? And yes, you could say in a way that they are of someone achieving something seemingly impossible, and they both have a kind of India as a a theme, one set in Bombay and one set in, you know, india in a different part of india mm-hmm. but I, I i think tonally you're looking at two really different filmmakers both great in their own you know way but for me it was a, it's a story of a of a young man like myself i'm a british guy with indian heritage like we began this interview mm-hmm. and i've discovered india again and that's what saru is saru actually an australian man now you meet him he's an aussie <laughs> and he's gone back and discovered a part of his life unlocked something that he was afraid to go and embrace before. That's what the story of Lion is to me. That's why he's called Lion. That's why the film's called Lion. Mm-hmm. It's about that, him becoming this, this his spirit animal, this yeah. creature,
1: growing into himself. It's coming of age. So last question is this. A week ago today, you received some news that means that now and forever you will be Oscar nominee <laughs> Dev Patel, something oh, that... Really You were part of the group with Slumdog, but now you get not only to be part of a group that's nominated for Best Picture, but some some individual recognition as well. And on top of that, I know that people have shared this stat with you, but just for listeners, you are only the third person of Indian descent to receive an acting Oscar nomination. And the first was Merle Oberon more than 80 years ago, who actually spent her life, sadly, hiding from the fact that she was of Indian descent. And then Ben Kingsley, who's been nominated several times and won once for Gandhi. And this is not a compliment or a criticism, but whose skin was light enough that they required dark makeup to play Gandhi. So you are the first person who not only is of Indian descent, but would be apparently of Indian descent to receive this recognition. And I just wonder the recognition itself, but also the cultural significance of it at a time when the Academy and the country are dealing with some... Questions of inclusion. What do you what do you make of it all?
0: Wow. I mean it's utterly overwhelming. You know, I feel guilty in a way, because I've I'm I'm so completely embraced by my peers and these wonderful this wonderful industry of kind of creatures of empathy. And out there in the real world, other people are not being embraced. You know, they're being turned away from these shores that's crazy you know to be riding such an amazing wave and actually outside there's people are riding waves back home to to war zones man and you know you constantly go on these press tours and I'm constantly talking to my incredible publicists all the time about why are we doing this like what does this even bloody matter right now when it seems like we're on, on the verge of doomsday and you have to you know, dig real deep and and think about it. And then you realize when you look at those faces in those dark rooms where there's no segregation, just eyes full of tears looking up at this and feeling hopeful again, because this story is about unity. It's about love, you know, transcending continents. It's about love, transcending race, gender, ethnicity, religion, whatever, you know. And I I think, you know what, that's great. I'm going to go out there, hold my head up high, and sing the story of this this family, because it's truly inspiring. But it is a rocky time, and I, I am really proud. Don't get me wrong, I'm super proud. I was in India when I got the news. I was in India with Raghu, the guy who played me the song in the car when I didn't want to go in an audition for it. And I turned to him with tears in my eyes and said, I've just been nominated for an Oscar for that role. It's wow. pretty amazing. And to be there in this country, and I was in the middle of nowhere at that point in Kerala, and it had just reached every corner of the, the country. And there, there was this real feeling of pride about it. So it, it matters to them. And even ha- though it hadn't sunk into me, it mattered to the people there. Mm-hmm. And that's quite amazing,
1: actually. You know, that's quite a beautiful thing. That's beautiful. And thank you so much for a great conversation. Appreciate it. Thank you, brother.